Hello, everyone. Welcome to the webinar. I'm so glad that you are here. The title of it is Target of Change, as you can see from the picture on the main slide here. We are dialing in to the heart. In fact, the subtitle is Getting to the Heart of the Matter. For those of you who are listening through the podcast, the audio version, thank you so much for joining me for this webinar. I will try to communicate as clearly as possible so you can see uh, what you are hearing, and so hopefully it will be excellent for you also. At some point, if you do have time, uh, I would love for you to watch the webinar. I think it will benefit you to see it visually, the animations that I have, uh, each slide that I, that I go through, it will make it more memorable. We're doing something so vital here that I really want you to get this information. My name is Rick Thomas, and I'm very glad that you are here. So the webinar is Target of Change, Getting to the Heart of the Matter. The big idea in the webinar is when someone shares with you a personal struggle in their life, you want to help them think through the internal tensions that have created the external outcomes they are sharing with you. So there's an inside-outside sequence here, and it always starts on the inside. As I teach our students that you must practice the skill of two-level listening while they are talking to you about what's going on in their world, in their interactions with others, what's going on in their life personally. You also want to listen at the heart level so that you can zero in and help them to change internally so that it will manifest in a better way externally. So the big idea, when someone shares with you a personal struggle in their life, you want to help them think through the internal tensions that have created the external outcomes they are sharing with you. The source of our personal struggles find their root in our hearts. I talk about this all the time. I just finished a couple other webinars that will benefit you tremendously, and I would encourage you to make a note to watch them if you haven't, because they do a similar thing. I want to, uh, that is, of identifying ruling motives of the heart. In fact, that is one of the webinars that I want you to watch if you haven't, how to identify the ruling motives of the heart. And then the other webinar that goes with this one is the doctrine of repentance. Of course, that means the teaching on how to change. Well, change, as I said in that webinar, as well as the rooting motives of the heart webinar, that we really have to understand what is going on in our hearts so that we can renew our minds to put these things off so that we can put on Christ. The source of our personal struggles find their root in our hearts. So the first course of action is to identify these heart controllers, these heart managers that manage us so we know what to put off and how to renew our minds. And that is what this webinar is about, how to target the heart. You've heard me share this verse before, I'm quite sure, uh, but it applies perfectly to this webinar here, and that is Luke 6, 43 through 45. In that passage of Scripture, what Christ is doing is he is connecting the heart to the mouth. There is no discontinuity uh, between the heart and the mouth. You can tr draw a, a straight line from the heart to the mouth, and there's no breaks whatsoever. What comes out of the heart is what's going to come off the tongue. Or you could say that our behaviors find their genesis in our hearts. Therefore, it is critical that we identify what is going on in our hearts, that we need to have a process of trekking back from the situations in our lives to the heart motives, change those motives so that we can trek back out, hoping that the situations will change. And so this verse says in Luke 6.45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. You see that continuity in that statement. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And then the antithesis is also true. The evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. And then he says, Jesus says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, I know that this is so simple. 
It is so logical. But when you're sitting across from someone and you're trying to diagnose them, to practicalize this simple verse, these simple ideas that Jesus is communicating, sometimes it can get tricky. And so you need the Spirit's help to help you to do that. It's important to understand that the change process or progressive sanctification for us Christians is not something that happens alone. There are many things that you can do by yourself but sanctification is not one of them. And so if you want to diagnose yourself and if you want to step into a progressive sanctification, a transformation process, it is not only important to understand how to diagnose the ruling motives of the heart, but you also need to make sure that you surround yourself with the proper companion so that you can have the help that you need to move through this process. And so before I start talking about how to diagnose the heart, I do want to just state what I trust is obvious to you, that you need to surround yourself with these proper companions. So with that in mind, there are four essential companions that are necessary when you're working through the change process. And so if you're helping someone or if you're being helped by someone, you want to make sure that these four elements are part of the process. Now, one of them is you. And so let's say that you want to experience change. You want to work on your progressive sanctification. Well, you are one of those people. You have a role to play. You are not a passive bystander while other people work on you. No, you are you are working out what God is working in you. And so you are an active participant in the change process, but you are not alone. The major element is the third person of the Trinity, the Spirit of God. We need him acting in our hearts, illuminating our minds. Uh, we need him convicting us of sin. We need him showing us the way. And so the Holy Spirit is essential in the change process. Another essential companion is God's Word. We would not know how to live without God's Word. It is the roadmap for life. This is how we learn how to change. And so the Spirit of God turns on the light, so to speak, to God's Word so that we can read it because it is spiritually discerned. And so three of the elements in the change process is you, of course, an active agent, the illuminating, powerful, empowering Spirit of God working in us. And then, of course, God's Word as we read it and respond to the things that the Spirit of God is teaching us. And then the fourth element are the appropriate friends in our life, or appropriate friend. It can just be one, but it should be at least one, someone or ones coming alongside you, cheering you on, uh, speaking truth and love, encouraging you along the way. And so as you begin to diagnose root motives and you're working on renewing your mind as this webinar is about, make sure that you remember and not to drift back into a place of isolation. Call on God. Ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate, to convict, to encourage, to empower. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you how to read God's Word, what to read in God's Word. And when you go into God's Word, you read expectantly, helping, I mean, under, expecting rather that the Spirit of God is going to meet you there and opening up the text so that you can apply them. And then you go out and you share with others what God is doing in your life and you bring them along to hold you accountable. This process of change is not easy. I've talked with several people over the past couple of weeks who have shared their angst, their tension, their struggle with taking thoughts captive, for example. This is not a process that you can do in isolation. So studying these things, as this webinar is going to lay out, theoretically, you're going to need more engagement, the Spirit of God, the Word of God, and the people of God. And if you surround yourself with these uh, non-negotiable companions, and then learn how uh, to renew your mind, you will be on a good path forward. So here are the four elements, you, the Spirit, the Word, and others. 
Now what I want to do is to transition into the heart of this webinar. I want to get inside of Ephesians 4:22 to 24. In fact, exactly inside verse number 23 where it says to renew your mind. I will show you that that passage in just a moment. But there's a companion passage that I do want you to be familiar with as well, and I will show that to you also. It is Colossians 3, 1 through 17. Both of these passages teach the same thing, and so we will look at them in the macro, but I want to dial in in the micro at the specific phrase of renewing the mind, because that's what we're going for Targeting the heart is the name of the webinar. And so in Ephesians 4, 22, 23, 24, a very familiar passage for most of us, it says, and I've highlighted here in the slide the three main ideas, put off, be renewed, and put on. Now, it, and it is important to understand that the change process is a a three-step process if you really want to simplify it. It's not a two-step process of put off and put on. Two steps is how you become a Pharisee. You you put off what you don't like and you, you put on whatever it is that you do like, but your mind has never been renewed. And Jesus had some very strong words in Matthew 23 about being whited tomb, tombs, whited sepulchers, and uh, full of dead men's bones. And so we want to make sure that we do understand that the sequence is three, not two. And this is what Paul is saying in Ephesians 4. He wants you to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. He says that old self is corrupt through deceitful desires. And so you can see this internal problem here. The desires or deceitful desires, they are in us. And so we he's addressing the heart here. And so it's important to understand that when God regenerated us, we brought a lifestyle, a lifestyle of thinking, a habituation of thoughts into our experience with Christ. And now, because we are in Christ, we are in the perfect position and the only position to where we can actually do what he is saying. And so he wants us to put off deceitful desires. And then the next phrase says to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And so he's not He's being consistent here is what he's doing. You have deceitful desires, therefore you need to renew your minds because you have deceitful desires. And then he says, well, renewing your mind, you're going to have to do something. you got to put on something and put on a new self that's created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and, and true holiness. And so this is a an internal verse that verses that Paul is giving us here. And it's important to understand that these are, though there is a sequence of putting off, renewing, and putting on, these are simultaneous actions, okay? So it's not that I'm going to put off. All right, I got everything put off now, and now I'm going to start working on renewing the mind. Okay, my mind is renewed. Now I'm going to put on a new... No, that's not how this works. These things happen at the same time. And so as you're putting off, you are renewing. And as you're renewing, you're putting on. There is no day one, day two, day three that you go through this process. No, you are doing this all at the same time. And so as the Spirit of God illuminates your mind and reveals a deceitful desire that is going on in your heart, you want to act on that, boom, simultaneously right there. And you want to know how to renew the spirit of your mind, which is what I'm going to be talking about in this webinar And then at the same time, you want to also put on new thoughts and new motivations, which hopefully will lead to new actions and a new situation in your life. And so these are simultaneous actions, but we want to zero in because the bulk of of these three verses here, Paul is talking about this internal work. True righteousness is what goes on in our hearts. True righteousness is not an external manifestation. That's what a legalist would do. They would they would wear their phylacteries and, and they would show their righteousness as an externality. But that's not what this text is teaching. True righteousness and true holiness is a matter of the heart. And so you want to put off the deceitful desires 
And the way that you do that, simultaneous, you renew the spirit of your mind. As you do that, you're putting on a different kind of righteousness and holiness. Now, I mentioned that the a companion passage is Colossians 3, 1 through 17. I'm not going to put all that on the slide because that's a lot. And so I just put uh, Colossians, uh, this looks like, this is a portion. I'm not sure exactly which verses is, these are. I think it's starting at verse number five. But you see it here on the slide. And what I've done is I've highlighted some of this put off and renew stuff so that it would pop off the slide and you can see it. And so he's saying, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. You see that in you part? Again, that's the focus, not externality. The externality will begin to change as you renew to mind, renew your mind. And so he wants to put off what's in us. And then he lists a few things here, sexual immorality and impurity and passion and evil desire and covetousness. All of these things are internal things is what he's saying. And then he says they're idolatry. And so basically, he just said, put off the idolatry, which the idolatry is in our heart. Now, we understand this also from James 1, verse 14, that we are, are lured away by the desires, the evil desires that are in us. And so Paul and James and Jesus, uh, they're pretty much in sync in unison in all this. Uh, then he says, in, uh, in, in these you too once walked, and this is his former manner of life that he was talking about in Ephesians, when you were living in them. And so just like he said to the Ephesians, that you put off your former manner of life that is corrupted through deceitful desires. And then he says, but now you must put them all away. And it's important that you hear what he's saying here. He's talking to Christians, and he's telling the Christians that you have to put this away meaning you are a believer in Christ, very much in Christ, but you have some bad things in you that you have to put away, and that is the life that we live. And then he goes on, I said, put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Uh, he goes on to say, uh, put on the new self, which is being renewed. Now, in this sentence here, we see this continual action of being renewed in, in Colossians. And then he says, put on then, as God's chosen, chosen one, holy, beloved, and compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And so this is a, a significant renovation of the heart is what Paul is calling us to and this is what I want to talk about in this webinar. All right. So I'm going to take Ephesians 4, 22 and 20 to 24. And then I want to walk you through a process of how to go from the externalities that are in our lives and trekking it back, like what I was saying earlier. You want to trek it back to the heart and identify the motive of the heart. What is going on in the motive, because you just can't disciple a person or disciple yourself out on the periphery, on the perimeter, out on the behavior. You have to work it back. And so when a person comes to you with a problem or you're presenting a problem to someone soliciting their help, what you're going to be sharing or what someone is going to be sharing to, with you, they're going to be talking about the situation that's going on in their lives. And that's what you see here on the screen. They're going to say, you know, I'm having a hard time at work or I'm having financial difficulty. I got in a conflict with church. I don't like my church. I don't like my job. I got in a dust up with my neighbor. This thing is happening with our children. My spouse is behaving this way. All of those statements that I just shared with you are situational. They are things that are going on uh, in the individual's lives. They are external. And when you hear that, that's where you need to have this instantaneous default to where you're listening at two levels. You're listening to them, and you really want to step into that situation, and you want to understand them. You're all eyes and all ears, meaning you're making solid eye contact with them, and your ears are wide open, and you're hearing every word that they're saying and words that you don't understand. You're asking for clarification because you want to understand the situation that they are presenting to you. But at the same time, you know that you cannot help them ultimately in a long-term sustainable way until you take this situational 
presentation that they're sharing with you, and you walk them all the way to their heart in trying to understand the ruling functional idolatries that may be clogging up uh, the system uh, that's hindering them from getting to wherever they hope to get. And so you have to be, you have to train yourself to listen at these two levels. And so every person, whoever comes to you, will share with you the situation in their life. And so you want to start asking some questions as you are listening to them. And the reason that you're asking these questions, one is informational. You want to learn, of course. But you're also leading them by the types of questions that you are asking. So as they are sharing the situation, like, I don't like my church, I'm having a problem with some folks at church, I got got in a dust up with the neighbor, Uh, my spouse is doing X, Y, Z, our children need some help in this area. As they share these situations, what you want to do is you want to begin asking questions that are not so much about the the situation as they are presenting it to you, but you want to ask them, what are they doing? What are you doing? So I don't like my church. Okay, well, t- tell me what, what's, what's going on. What are you doing? What are some of the responses? Because they will tell you what the pastor did, of course. Uh, they will, the, the, the spouse will tell you uh, what the other spouse did, of course, and they'll explain the situation. And that's typically how most people explain situations is they talk outside of themselves, and they, they don't necessarily, they're usually not, Uh, so keen on being self-revealing and being transparent. They they share what's going outside of them. And I would say that 90% of the conversations that you hear, that you have with people like this, that's what they're going to be saying. But But that other person is not here. That church is not here. That other spouse is not here. That teenage child is not here. This individual is here, and you want to help them. And so uh, they explain the situation to you, and so you want to lead them back to their hearts. And so you ask them, well, tell me what's what's going on. How did you respond? What are some of the things that you're doing? What are some things that you wish you were doing? I mean, it could be a whole series of questions depending on uh, what they are, are talking about and the situation that they're describing to you. So as you see on the screen, you're moving toward the heart. And so we have the situation that they presented. You start asking questions that have a lot to do with their responses and their interaction with the situation so that you can get a better understanding of them, the individual who's talking to you. And so you're having a clear understanding of what's going on and you're gaining a clear understanding of the individual who's talking to you, but you still want to move closer to the heart. And so the next thing that you want to begin to discern are the thoughts of the individual who's talking to you. So you go from situation that they lay out for you responses, the things that they are doing, now that's more behavioral, and you want to move internally, and so now you want to identify some of the thoughts, you want to understand what they were thinking. Let me give you an illustration of what I mean here. Let's say that a husband and wife have a a dust dump, and the wife is sharing that with you, and so you ask the wife, well, how did you respond to that? Well, I yelled back at him. That's a response, okay? And then what you're trying to understand, well, what were you thinking that motivated you to yell back at him? And so what were you thinking that motivated you to yell, which has contributed in part to the situation that you're in? So you see the three steps there. The thought life led to the action life that led to the situation, the real life that they're living in. And so the situation, responses, and thoughts, but you still want to move a little bit deeper because you want to get inside the heart. And so you're trying to understand the motives. What motivated you to think that way, which tempted you to respond that way, which has led to the situation that you're in? Now, I'm going to show you another slide in a few moments where I'm going to illustrate what you're looking at on this slide, I'm going to give you five different scenarios, and I'm going to break them down from motives to thoughts to responses to situations so that you can have some practical illustrations of what I'm talking about. Right now, I'm just working through this 
theoretical process that you can have with any one, but these are the four things that you're looking to identify. And this is how you want to train yourself to have two-level two level listening. And so the first level, as you see on the screen, could be situation and responses. That's what's going on above ground. That's what's going on in their real world. The lower level of listening that you're going to have are their thoughts and their motives. That's a different kind of listening that you need to have. And so understanding the thoughts and motivations of a person's heart that leads to responses and situations, the more adept you become in putting all this together, the more effective you will be in helping others. Now, the goal here is, is for them to change their motives and to change their thoughts and responses and situations. Because remember, Ephesians 4, 24 is to put off the old person renew the spirit of the mind and put on a new person. And so these situation, the situation in this person's life, ideally it should change dramatically, but it, it only has a chance of changing if the motive, if the mind is renewed. And so that's why you're working back to try to understand what's going on in the mind, to use Paul's language, so that they can have a different outcome in their lives. And so what as you begin to explore around in the motivations of a person's heart, hopefully you will be able to uh, teach them new motives of the heart. And so as their motives begin to transform, as you see on the screen, from ungodly or unbiblical motivations to God-centered motivations, their motives begin to change. Well, obviously that's going to affect their thought life. And then their thoughts are going to affect their actions, their responses, and what they are doing. Their responses is going to impact the situation. Now, I am not suggesting that this is a formula to where if you do this exactly the way that I'm laying it out, that you're going to go from a bad marriage to a good marriage, from a rebellious son to a God-loving son to a good, a bad church environment to a good church environment. I'm, this is not a trick. It's not a formula that works, but this is the process of change. And so it really falls under the umbrella of Romans 12, 18. You do all that's depending upon you, and then you rest in that, whether the situation ever turns to your liking or not, what you have to do and what I have to do, I have to look at the situation, what is going on, and then I need to address how am I responding to the various things that's happening in my, in my environment, in my situation, my milieu. And then I need to explore what is my thoughts that's propelling me to respond this way that is creating in part the situation that I'm in and then I will have to address my desires, my motivations, what is really going on in my heart, and then I want those to be renewed to something that is God-centered so that it will impact my thoughts and it will overcome my bad responses, my bad actions, and I would be uh, performing Christ-like actions which will impact the situation, though, as I said, it might not give you exactly what you want, but you have done all that you could possibly do by following this process here. And so it's important that you understand what you're looking at on the screen. I don't want you to to memorize it in a rote way as though you go through this process in a wooden or mechanical way. Go back to the other slide where I talked about the illumination of the Spirit. Each context, each situation, each encounter that you have with an individual, they will all be different somehow. And so this is a theoretical guide, but you want to be walking in the Spirit and allowing the Spirit to help you to process this so it doesn't just become a a formulaic wooden mechanical process that you work through that has no spirit, has no pneumatos, no flexibility in it at all. All right, before I move off this slide, I do want to go back to a comment that I made earlier about a two-step process. It is a three-step process, as I laid out in the previous slide. Some people have, have taught, and there's even counseling and discipleship practices that happen where it's just a put-off and put-on. 
as I said, that is a two-step process to a Pharisee where you stop doing one action and start doing another action. If you don't get inside the mind the way Paul was teaching in Ephesians 4 or Colossians 3, you saw the redundancy of his statements being renewed and desires, and then he used so many uh ways of describing that, impurity of thoughts, for example, and idolatry, and he just kept banging the message home that you really have to focus, move it back to the heart that you just can't change externally as put off and put on, because that is pharisaical, it can be legalistic, or it could be behavioral modification, and it's not sustainable. It won't last. You will always revert back if you don't know how to change your mind, to take your thoughts captive, to grab your grab your heart and to renew it. And so it's important that we understand that there is a process and it looks like what you're seeing now on the screen. I went from situation to responses to thoughts to motive backed it all the way up to the heart, and then began to think about new motives, gospel-centered motives that leads to new thoughts, new responses, and a new situation. Now what I want to do is I want to give it a little more detail. I want to get into some practical applications of the things that I have been painting for you. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to change the words that I just gave you, situation, responses, thoughts, and motives, and I want to give you four new words. The reason that I'm doing this is because I just want to put as much paint on the canvas as possible to expand your thinking and to give you every poss- every option and every possibility to be able to understand what I'm presenting to you because it's just that significant. And so what I've done, I've taken the words from the previous slide, situation, you see it here on the screen, and I've given it a synonym, and I'm calling it presentation. The situation that they're describing you it, it's the presentation. It's what they are presenting to you. And the point that I want to make about the situation that they're describing to you or the presentation that they're presenting to you is that it's never the real issue. If you can remember the scenarios that I painted for you earlier about the husband and wife with a problem, the church church member with a problem, the parent-child with a problem, the neighbor and the uh, with, with the dust up. That's never the real issue. It's a real issue, but it's not the primary issue. It's not the heart of the issue. Maybe it would be a good way to say it. And again, it's important that you understand this, that, that the presentation problem is not the real problem. That is the upper level listening that you are paying attention to with all with both eyes and both ears, but you're also listening at a lower level. The second word I introduced to you was responses. What are they doing? In this slide, I'm calling that their performance, just to give you a synonym, another way of of thinking about it. And then I'm labeling that as what they are doing. So the presentation problem it's what's going on in their life, but it's never the real issue. The performance problem, which is underneath that, that's what they're doing. That's their responses that's creating, in part, the situation that they're describing to you. Now, that's all upper level, above ground, behavioral. And then underneath, the lower level listening that you are doing, I called it your thoughts. What are your thoughts that led to these responses that led to this situation? Well, in this slide, I'm calling it preconditioning. Preconditioning is habits of thinking, that former manner of life that Paul talked about, that we brought into our salvation experience. We have habituated patterns of thinking that take our thoughts captive. It is preconditioning. Like for me, for example, God regenerated me when I was 25 years old. Think about it. That's two and a half decades of preconditioning, a way of thinking a former manner of life. And because of that preconditioning, I am going to automatically, without thinking, respond when certain things happen in my life, and it's going to always create the same old situation, okay? And then what I want to drive down to is the motive of the person's heart. What I'm calling here is presuppositional. Presuppositional is a person's functional theology. 
It's how they think about God. Everybody thinks about God. Everybody has a view of God. The atheist has a view of God. They believe there isn't one. The devil has a view of God. He believes that there is one, but uh, he will not submit to him. Everybody has a a functional theology, theos, lagos, what we think about God. Our functional theology is what drives us. It is our presuppositional starting point. It is the interpretive grid. Perhaps you could think of presuppositional like a window, a plate glass window in your home that you look through. And if it's colored green, everything that you see is green. If it's colored rose, Everything that you see is going to be rose-colored. And so your presupposition gives you your interpretation for everything else. That's why you want to address the motives or the presuppositions in a person's life or what I'm saying here, their functional theology. As you understand their presuppositional interpretive filter, then that will help you to understand why they think that way. The reason they think that tree is rose-colored all the time is because, well, they have a, a, a presuppositional rose-colored window interpretive grid that they're looking through. And so understanding a person's motives or presupposition will help you to understand their thoughts, their preconditioning, their habits of thinking, which will help you understand their responses their performance, what they are doing, which will help explain in part the situation or what they're presenting to you, which again is never the real issue. Just to hammer my redundancy, I want to go back to the previous slide of situation, responses, and thoughts and bring these, uh, just add more clarity here, just because again, it's so important that you get this, that you truly understand this to where you can just talk about it without looking at this slide. I mean, you could just, you could stand in front of your Sunday school class and you could draw all this out on a piece, uh, on the board, on the whiteboard and explain it uh, to your class. You want to know it that well, as they say, like the back of your hand. So the situation is never the real issue. The responses that you're going to start asking, they are the action things. What are you doing that are helping to create, in part, this situation? And then you're going to dig deeper and get into their thought life, the habits of thinking. What are your habits of thinking that leads to these actions that you're doing that's creating, in part, the situation that you're in? And then you want to get into their functional theology, their presuppositional window, the motivations of the heart, because it is that func- it is that window, that functional theology that's going to impact the thoughts, going to drive the actions, and going to influence the situation. And so I want you to see that quite clearly. And so in this slide, as I wrap up the the webinar, I want to give you five illustrations of a presentation problem, a performance problem, what they're doing that's creating in part the presentation that they're bringing to you, the preconditioning, that thought life that's been there, like in my case, for two and a half decades, that I really, I've, there was just so much work I had to do uh, as a young believer and a maturing believer because of that deficit, you could say, of preconditioning my thought life, which all started by changing the presupposition, uh, how I thought about God. I've talked many times about how even my father's influence on me was so powerful that when I came into my Christian experience at regeneration, I had a presupposition of who God was. And you can see how that affected my thought life. And that is why the performance on the behavioral side, it was easy for me to become a legalist, to go into a legalistic Christian environment because the only view that I had of a father was a conditional one that I perform well for him because of my presupposition. So that would be a good illustration of what you see laid out here on the screen. All right, so let's get into it. Here's the five situations that I'm going to present to you. These are five presenting problems. Remember, 
they are not the real issue, but they are the things that the individual is sharing with you. The first one is my marriage is falling apart. That is a very basic presentation problem or a situation that an individual is going to bring to you. My marriage is falling apart. Maybe one of the most common ones that you will ever hear. They may not state it that way, but it will be some version of this, some version of marriage trouble. So that is a common presentation problem, and that is why that I have uh, put it here as one of my illustrations. Number two, I have a problem with pornography. I put it here because, again, that is a common issue as well. I wanted to put out some situations here or presentation problems that make sense to all of us. And my marriage falling apart or marriage problems and porn problems would be uh, two obvious ones. Number three, I can't keep a job. Now, I'll just go ahead and say that the word, whenever someone says, I, I can't, you, you really want to hone in on that word. Now, you don't want to be the word police, of course, and you might not even say anything to them, at least not initially. But when someone says something like this, it's like, I can't keep a job or I won't keep a job. Uh, I can't keep a job sounds more like a, a victim. Uh, I, I won't keep a job uh, that sounds more like an active agent, a person who has agency. And so you're not being cynical here or suspicious, but you do want to you do want to use discernment. And it is important. And uh, I talk a lot about words. And when I talk about words, not from a word police perspective, I don't I don't believe in ping, pinging people for the words that they use. But I listen to words because of what Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth uses words, the mouth speaks. And so when the mouth is speaking, if this person has a habitual preconditioning pattern of saying, I can't keep a job, well, that's part of the problem. I mean, there's something that's informing the wordsmithing that he is using in this illustration. And so you don't wanna put too much weight on it you don't want to overweight it so much that you make it you, you you blow it up to something that it's not but you also don't dismiss it and so you do listen to the words because words come from the heart and this idea of can't that's one of those words that you just want to keep an eye on explore it uh, and and hold it loosely don't explore it in a dogmatic way where you've already determined the end result but just in case, you want to explore it because words do mean something. The fourth illustration I'm going to talk about is I don't know how to trust God. Now, there's something wrong with this statement as well. This has a uh, number three and number four here. They have a victimization to them, and, and you can hear a slight trace of it in what they're saying. I can't keep a job. There's a trace of victimization there. I don't know how to trust God. There's a trace of victimization there. We do know how to trust God, and you have to explore that. But if you only listen to the presentation problem, if you only listen to the situation that they're presenting to you, you will not be able to explore it. That's why you want to get into performance, precondition, and presupposition, because once you get down to the presuppositional level, you will realize that, no, you can keep a job and you can trust God. But if you don't know how to do that, what will happen is you will empathize with them, which means that you will commiserate with them, but you won't be able to courageously and competently move them from this position that they are presenting to you. So number three, I can't keep a job. Number four, I don't know how to trust God. And then my fifth illustration is my teenage son is rebellious. So these are the five presentation problems or the five situations in the previous slide that someone is coming to you. Now, what I would encourage you to do, maybe you could stop the video at this time or stop the audio. You write out these things or screenshot this slide here, and then just spend a half hour or an hour working through. Maybe you could take screenshot this slide, print it off, and then start filling in the blanks here. Uh, write out what the performance could be here. Speculate. It would be a wonderful uh, life project for you. And then go to the lower level of preconditioning or the thought life and just take some random, just 
throw some stuff on the wall and, and see what happens and then get get into the presuppositional aspect their functional theology that would be a fun project and by the way and you don't have to show it to anybody so there's no fear of man <laughs> there's no fear of man here you don't have to show it to anybody just you and the lord and then if it's really awful just throw it in the trash okay uh, but this would be a good time to stop the video and you just see where you are in counseling and discipleship. And then maybe uh, sometime a year from now, or maybe you go through our mastermind program, which would be fantastic. And then you come back and do all this again and just see how uh, what your how your cadence will be so different. It'd just be da 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 because it will just be so second nature to you. That would be fun, kind of a before and after like a weight loss, white, what those weight loss photographs that we see. All right, so the five presentation problems or the five situations. My marriage is falling apart. I have a problem with porn. I can't keep a job. I don't know how to trust God. My teenage son is rebellious. All right, so now let's get below that and let's take a look at the performance. What are you, what are you doing? Now, let me say that when you get into, well, even the presentation, there's going to be more than these single sentences that they're going to share with you. When a person shares a situation to you or a presentation problem, you know, they're going to talk for 15 minutes or an hour and a half. They're going to say a lot. And so I really simplified it here. And so you see here under the performance for number one, my marriage is falling apart. It says, I shout at my wife. Now that is just a, a short singular statement. Now it, it's, it's, it's packed. There's a lot in it, but Remember that what I'm doing is just streamlining a teaching here, and there's going to be a lot of things that's going to go under point number one. I, when you say, well, what are you doing? What are your responses? What is your performance? You won't word it that way, but the questions that you ask will lead the individual to explain to you how they are participating in the relationship. And I'm just giving you one-off statements here. I shout at my wife, but they will be 20 things that they could say, 30 things that they can say. So please keep that in mind. There is a, there is an element of simplicity here because it's a webinar and we can't get into all the contours of what can be going on under each one of these four elements. But a person comes in and says, my marriage is falling apart, and you get into the performance aspect, what are you doing? They say, I shout at my wife. Well, now this is interesting. Now, suppose they came in and said to you, I shout at my wife, then what you would say, your marriage is falling apart. You could tell him what his presentation problem is. And so what I want you to see here, the stark contrast between the presentation problem and the performance. When they come in and said, my marriage is falling apart, you don't know where to go with that. You really do not know where to go with that. And if you're not careful, by the way, uh, as they begin to explain the situation to you, and as they talk less about themselves and more about what the other spouse is doing, it would be easy to go down that road. Well, no wonder your marriage is falling apart because your spouse is such a you know horrible person. And so you want to be careful with that. And that's why this vague statement of my marriage falling apart, you have to lead at that point. You have to lead at that point because if you let an individual lead, 99 times out of 100, they're going to lead you down the wrong path, and you need to go down the road less traveled, which will be the road that that makes them more vulnerable and them more transparent. You know, David and Nathan got into that in 1 Samuel uh, verse uh, chapter 12, I think, uh, where they got into that, that section of Scripture where Nathan came and was telling David you know, the, the sheep story, and David immediately took it off down the wrong path. We just need to beat up this person because they did a horrible thing but taking this man's only sheep. And then Nathan led the situation, though. Your nation has fallen apart because people are stealing sheep. Well, we need to get on top of this. And then Nathan says, you are the man. You're the one that killed Uriah. And so it's important that you lead at this juncture. Now, if you get them talking about themselves and they say something like, I shout at, I shout at my wife, 
well, that does position the counseling session right where you want it because now, now you've got something to, to work with. And, of course, the performance statement that's made here explains the presentation problem that they came in with. I have a problem with porn. I live alone and surf the net. And, and, and again, do the same thing because there's a continuity, as I've said a couple of times, there's continuity between the heart and behavior. And so you'll see as you work down from the behavior down to the heart, there is that continuity. And so you could say, you can make these statements forward or backwards. My marriage is falling apart. I shout at my wife or I shout at my wife. Hey, guess what? Your marriage is, if it's not falling apart, it's going to. Or a person says, I have a problem with porn. They say, I live alone and surf on the net. Those things are connected to each other. If he came in and said, I live alone and surf in the net, uh, you might surmise that he is going to have a problem with porn if he doesn't already. Number three, I can't keep my job. This is the one that had that trace of victimization that I talked about. Now, when you start talking, when you start uh, drilling into well, tell me what's going on from you personally. Again, you want to stay away from, I mean, you want to hear what the employer is doing, but you want you don't want to stay in that lane the whole time because the employer is not sitting in front of you. And so you want to talk to the person who's talking to you. And he says something like, I disrespect my employer. Oh, that's a game changer right there. That immediately says you're not a a victim. You have a heart issue that's going on. No wonder you can't keep your job. Number four is I don't know how to trust God. That is was another statement that had a trace of victimization in it. And then as you get into this lower level investigatory work, specifically in the performance action things, the responses. He says, when something is wrong, I fix it. Well, we'll drill down into what that means, but it's hopefully it's apparent to you of what would be going on in this person's thinking here. We'll see how well you do. Maybe, maybe what you can do at this juncture, here's number five. My teenage son is rebellious. He is drinking and fooling around. What you could do now, let's say that you you stopped the webinar screenshot the the slide and you work through the performance problem now you can compare what you wrote out and and what i just presented to you and see see where you are now by the way all of this is speculative and i'm creating scenarios fictional scenarios and so what you have written out if you've taken the test what you have written out could be accurate too you could very well be accurate too because i'm making this stuff up and you can make it up too but i want you to make sure that there's continuity between the presentation problem and the performance the five performance statements that i've made here there is continuity and so if you did stop the video and and listed five performance statements See if there's continuity, if if these performances could potentially lead to this presentation. All right, so let's go underneath and let's talk about the preconditioning problem for each one of these five statements. All right, so number one, my marriage is falling apart. One of the performance items, and remember, he's going to share 20 to 30 with you. I only have one here. He says, I shout at my wife. And now you want to get into his thought life, his precondition, these habits of thinking that I talked about. That's what preconditioning is, that former manner of life, those deceitful desires that we have brought into our relationship with Jesus. He says, when I don't get my way, I get angry. So this is a habituated way of thinking that he has. When I don't get my way, I get angry. So this this could go back to when he was three years old. You know, this is... This is go back to improper parenting. I'm not saying that he is a victim and and he now is a 45-year-old baby who's throwing a tantrum uh, sitting on the bedroom floor because he doesn't have the right toy or his sibling took the toy from him. And he learned as a three-year-old to respond in anger, anger to manipulate the situation. And that's where that habituated pattern started, his preconditioning, his habits and thinking, that former manner of life. And now he's brought that former manner of life into his sanctification, his walk with Jesus. And so here he is now, 45, he's four decades later, 
and he's got that same habituated pattern, very similar to me, of two and a half decades of habituation, preconditioning, habits of thinking that I brought into my walk with Christ. Well, here's his. When I don't get my way, I get angry. Oh, well, guess what's going to happen? You're going to get married. Your wife is not going to perform to your expectations at every turn. And you have a pattern of manipulating the situation by shouting, by getting angry, and you manipulate her into position, into the position that you want, uh, into the situation that you want. And so now you're getting down to a deeper level. And of course, it'll be interesting to see what his presupposition, uh, his idol worship uh, ultimately is, because it's not, it's obviously not the Lord. All right, number two, I have a problem with porn, the one-line line item that he gave us out of the 20 that he could give us. I live alone and surf the net. That's his performance, his responses, action steps. Preconditioning, habits of thinking. He says, when pressure rises, I look for escapes. Ah, do you see how clearer these state, how much, how clearer these statements become as you move from performance to the heart? It's important that you see that. These first five statements, the presentation problems, were really just vague, ambiguous. Not really sure where to go with this. And then when you start asking these performance questions, it's like, oh, okay, uh, that makes sense. We have a direction to go here, like number three here, I can't keep a job. Traces of victimization, not sure where to go with this. Then he says, I disrespect my employer. That just adds a ton of clarity. And then number three, under preconditioning, or that statement under preconditioning, the guy who can't keep his job, he says, my dad yelled at me all the time. Wow, okay, now I can see your habits in thinking that you have brought into your Christian experience, that you struggle with authority. And, and, And part of that struggle with authority is tied to your relationship with your father that you were didn't want to be demeaned and put down and made fun of and mocked and discouraged and just living in that kind of context. And you have a person of authority who, I'm going to surmise that the employer in this case is not perfect. And that, that's you know kind of a wild shot there, but let's, uh, we know that to be true. Let's say he's a little bit bossy and a little bit authoritarian, and it starts bringing back these thoughts of, well, I've, I've lived this life my entire life, and so I don't respect this man. Of course, it leads to some kind of altercation in this. He comes to you and he says, I can't keep a job. Well, as you explore this in a more deeper way, you realize why. I don't know how to trust God is the presentation, the performance statement was, when something is wrong, I fix it. And then the preconditioning, the habits of thinking, he says, I feel important when I'm noticed. I feel important when I am noticed. This is a person who struggles with fear of man. Uh, They have an approval drive. They want to receive approval or acceptance. And so they have a strength and when something is wrong and they know how to fix it, they, they fix it and they receive those accolades, those attaboys, those, those stars at the top of their paper. And so they've learned this habit of thinking, of feeling uh, this insecurity that they have. They want to be noticed and, and that is a good feeling for them. And so they learn how to fix things, and so they do that, but that that flies in conflict with trusting God. This is a self-reliant individual, not a God-reliant individual. And then number five, it says, my teenage son is rebellious. The performance statement that they make, he's drinking and fooling around with girls. Number five, under preconditioning, it says, I chose to rear him differently. Now, this is an odd statement here, and the counseling just took an odd turn. I was thinking that the counseling had something to do with the teenage son primarily, but now based on this habit of thinking here where she said, I chose to rear him differently, there's something that's going on in her mind, her preconditioning, her habits of thinking, her thought life, where she's made a volitional decision to raise her child differently. 
where she was raised in an environment that she did not appreciate she reacted to. Maybe she was reared in a heavy-handed legalistic religious environment, and it was very oppressive, and she swore when she got older that when if she ever had children, and you'll see parents that do this, if I ever have children, I'm not going to do it this way, you know, the way my parents did. And so she went from legalism to licentiousness as far as the way she was parented to how she parents. And now she's reaping the whirlwind. He's drinking and fooling around. She has a, a, a teenage son who's rebellious. Now, the interesting point here is that I want you to see in this, in this case study is that this counseling session took a radical turn from what you might anticipate when you got down into the preconditioning, the habits of thinking, in this case, the habits of her thinking. Now what you want to do is you want to identify the presupposition. What is their functional theology? The guy with the marriage falling apart who shouts at his wife, when he doesn't get his way, he gets angry. He serves the idol of control. This is the ruling motive of his heart. He's a control freak. He has to be in control, meaning he can't be out of control. He has trained himself to always be in control, and he's learned how to stay in control. When things are falling out of control, all he has to do is just fly off the handle, get angry, and then everybody backs up and salutes the flag and bows down, and now he has control of his universe where he feels safe and secure. And so he's serving the idol of control. This control idol is very big in his world. That is his functional theology. He worships the idol of control, and because of that, it impacts his thought life, preconditioning. It impacts his actions, his performance, and, of course, it creates his situation. In his case, his marriage is falling apart. I have a problem with porn. He serves the idol of comfort, and what he says here under his preconditioning, and this is where you get a clue, he says, when pressure rises, I look for escapes. He's looking for comfort. He worships the idol of comfort. And so you want to get inside of that. We've got to renew that. We've got to renew that mind. It's got to be God-centered. He's got to put on something else. But right now he's worshiping at the altar of comfort, and that leads him to always look for escapes. And he's found an escape, and that escape is through pornography, and now he's habituated into an addiction. I can't keep a job, disrespecting his employer, This is rooted in how his dad yelled at him all the time. This gentleman serves the idol of power. He wants the power rather than being submitted and broken by an abusive dad that he has to be on top. He has to have the force, the power, the energy. And so it's hard for him to support, uh, to submit uh, to an authoritarian person, especially when an authoritarian person uh, is not, a servant leader like like Christ. I don't know how to trust God, he says. When something is wrong, I fix it. And then his preconditioning, I feel important when I'm noticed. Well, that's the idol of fear. He worships at the altar of fear. None of these idols are good. As someone could look at this and say the idol of fear, well, that's quite negative. I mean, fear, that's not a good idol. Actually, none of these idols are good. They might sound better. I'd rather have the idol of comfort. It sounds better than always being afraid. No, all of these idols are bad, but because of his deep-seated insecurity, it's created an approval drive, preconditioning, to where he wants to be noticed, and he's learned how to be Mr. Fix-It on the job, and that's where he gets his accolades. But, of course, that's flying him right in the face of uh, not trusting God or not knowing how to trust God. And so rather than worshiping the Lord, he worships the idol of fear. And then finally, rather than counseling the rebellious teenage son, as I said, this counseling session took a radical turn. We're no longer counseling the son, but we're counseling his mother. She has chosen the idol of self-reliance. I'm going to rear him differently. I'm going to do it my way. I'm not going to do it God's God's way. I'm going to do it my way. And so, and that's what she said. I chose to rear him di- differently. And you can see how this habituation of thought life has affected her that has led to somewhat of a licentious way of rearing her children. And now, again, as I said, she's reaping the whirlwind on that. Now, if you did take the test, I would 
I think it would be very helpful just to see if you have a, a similar continuity. I'm not saying that you would have the same line items each time, but there should be continuity between the idolatry presuppositional worship structure or the genesis of the worship structure. The whole thing is a worship structure. But the genesis of it, as you work up through the preconditioning to the performance, to the presentation to see how well you did, even though your line items might be different. The big idea in this webinar is when someone shares with you a personal struggle in their life, you want to help them think through the internal tensions that have created the external outcomes they are sharing with you. The source of all our personal struggles find their root in our hearts. The first course of action is to identify these heart controllers, these managers, these presuppositions that manage, control us, these motivations of the heart, so we know what to put off and how to renew our minds. Now, what I've done is I've, I've created, I have three hours of webinars that I would encourage you to watch on this mind renewal. The first one was the doctrine of repentance, and then there was one on the ruling motives of the heart, and then this one on the target of change. And it would be essential to virtually memorize this information to where it is so in you that it's just the way that you think and you would bring so much clarity to your own heart motivations and life and then also those that you serve. And then the next step that I want you to take is assuming that you understand the target of the heart and to identify the controlling idols that manage us, then I want you to watch our Overcoming Self-Reliance webinar. You could say it this way, Overcoming Unbelief, because all those idols that I just showed you, the idol of power and control and comfort and self-reliance and fear, those five idols that I showed you, they all point to one thing. Their functional theology is broken down, meaning they do not know how to trust God. Therefore, the next webinar that I would appeal to you to watch freely on our website is the Self-Reliance webinar where, where you will learn how to deconstruct these false worship structures and build new ones that depend on the Lord. If you do have a moment, just a minute to listen, uh, I do want to make an appeal for those of you who are able to support our ministry, this webinar that you just watched. It is free. It's provided to you by the folks who underwrite our ministry, who support us financially. It's the only way that we can make these free, and by the grace of God, we're going we're gonna to always make these free. We're trusting God that he will move upon the hearts of some folks, not all folks, some folks who are able to support us. And if you're one of those folks, uh, would you consider, if you're not already, would you consider being a monthly, annual one-time donor of our ministry to help us so that we can continue to get these resources out to as many people as possible. For those of you who aren't able to support us, I want you to come to our website in droves, and I want you to benefit and enjoy from the resources that we're creating, the resources that our partners are underwriting. No guilt whatsoever, no shame whatsoever. In fact, what you can do uh, one of the, there's two primary ways for you to partner with us. One, use our resources and ask God to help them to affect you and your sphere of influence. Just help us, me, family, friend, to change. That's one. And then two, share them with anybody in the world. Just grab a random stranger off the street and said, "Hey, you need to watch this. <laughs> you need to watch this webinar." That's how you can partner with us if you're not able to financially support us. For those of you who are able, we do need your help, and I do make that appeal. And I, if God moves your heart that direction, I would be most thankful and most thankful if you would at least pray about it. I would be grateful for that. Target of change, getting to the heart of the matter. I'm Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for watching the movie. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.